Let's pray together. Father, uh, I pray that in our lives that we'll get it, that there is nobody else but you. Father, I just pray that we can just live out our days being able to follow Jesus, to live the life that you want us to live. Give us the courage to do what we have to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, this morning, uh, we are coming to the end of our series, uh, Hot Topics, and you may remember back around Easter, we surveyed the congregation as to what everybody wanted to hear, and the majority of you wanted to hear about the end times, things like the end of the world, what happens when the world ends, salvation, and heaven, and hell, and judgment day, and all that fun stuff. So we're coming to the end of this series, and what I want to do is just kind of piggyback and expand on some of the things that Greg talked about uh, last week, but I, I want to begin by just saying that I think that if we were to go around the room and we were to survey everybody and say, do you believe in the basic tenets of the Christian faith, I think most of you would say, yeah, I can buy into that. That's why we're here on a Sunday morning at church, we believe in the basics of the Christian faith. And if I were to go around the room and say, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? I think most of you would also say, yeah, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. But if we were to ask you the question that really sets Christianity apart from the the rest of world religion, is Jesus Christ the only way to salvation, I think we get a little more hemming and hawing from a lot of people than we did on the previous two questions. And I think it's primarily in that issue that Greg brought up last week is, which, by the way, all of you brought up, is how can a compassionate God throw a good person into hell? Maybe I'll ask it a different way and see if that gives any kind of a different perspective. Is it God's fault if somebody doesn't go to heaven? And if somebody doesn't end up getting into heaven, does that make God any less compassionate or merciful than what we've been taught to believe about God's character? I am sure that you know people who are good, moral, nice people who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is this question that lurks in the back of your mind. There is just no way that they could possibly end up in hell for just not believing in Jesus. Right? It's just not fair. But the thing that I've learned out of all the years of my studies in the grace of God is this one fact. God's grace ain't fair. So there's a lot of different theories about the end in terms of what happens when we die. I'd be curious to know, just out of a show of hands, just for my own information, how many of you believe that heaven is an actual place that when we die, that there's like a real place called heaven that you would go. How many of you believe that? Okay. All right. 
And how many of you then would believe that there's an actual place called hell where there's also a, the place where people actually go at the end? Mm-hmm. Okay. And how many of you would say that you know what is the determining factor on who goes where? Mm-hmm. All right. There are a couple of uh, diagnostic questions that uh, I like to ask people when I'm trying to understand kind of where they're at in their faith. And um, it's a couple of old Baptist questions that you may have heard either from me or the guy in the suit and tie standing at your front door on a Saturday morning. Uh, But it's one of those questions that I think gets to the heart of our beliefs, and that's this. If you were to die tonight, do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven? Just think about it for a second. Do you believe, are you confident that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven? And the second question is kind of like it, and that is, if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you in my heaven? knowing that your answer determined whether or not you're getting in. How do you answer them? What do you say? I can tell you what most people would say. Most people would say, well, I've been a pretty good person. I'm not a murderer or a thief or a cheat or a liar. I'm not as bad as all of those people. I think that I've tried to live a pretty decent life. So I think that I would say my final answer would be I've lived a good life. I've been a good person. But let's break that down a little bit, okay? Let's create a big morality chart. And let's say that at the top of the chart we have God. And God is holy and just and perfect and sinless and magnificent, all right? And let's say that those people who live their lives as close to God as humanly possible on this earth, that that would be a 10. Anybody want to give me anybody? Who would you say is like a 10 in the morality chart? Anybody? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, that was on my mind. I like that one. Anybody else? Billy Graham, I would put there. There's been a lot of investigations. He's come up clean every time. Billy Graham. Who's that? Yeah. Craig. Uh, How about anybody's mom? Anybody want to put your mom up there? I'm going to throw my mom in there. I'm going to say she's up there. All right. Anybody else? Kind of a 10? All right. So then let's go down to the bottom, and I'm not going to open this one up for you people. I know you people too well, and I just may end up there. So um, let's say that on the bottom end, on the scale that we'd say is a one, let's just put the worst of humanity. Let's say that it's uh, in our generation, it would be mass murderers like uh, Ted Bundy and uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. All right? You hear those names, you go, those are bad people. Right? So top of the, top of the spectrum is a 10, bottom is a one. How many of you would put yourself at a... Two. All right. Anybody want to put yourself at a one? Because we'll have the ushers come and escort you out of the church. (laughs) 
So how many of you would put yourself at a, let's say, right in the middle, five? How many of you put yourself at a five? Really? That's it? Really? Wow. Okay, let's go on. We have a really good church, probably. Six? How many of you would put yourself at a six? Really? Seven? Oh, my gosh. Eight? Eight? Oh, Hubicki, yeah, right. <laughs> Anybody want to put it in a nine? Anybody? Nine? Ten? I want to hang out with you people who just to get close to you. Ten? Anybody? All right. So you have all the spectrum, and I think that most people would put themselves kind of somewhere, you know, in the middle, at a five to a seven range, kind of, if you think pretty good about yourself, you're kind of the upper middle, but most of us would put ourselves, you know, there in the middle. But here's the rub. The Bible teaches us that the requirement to get into heaven is that you have to be perfect. That means that you have to live your life from the point that you're born to the point that you die perfectly. No sin. Right? The entrance to get it, requirement to get into heaven is to be perfect. Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But then the Bible goes on and teaches that for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are a bunch of messed up sinners. And none of us are perfect. Well, if the standard for heaven is perfection and we're all sinners, how do we get in? Here is the cold, hard truth of the gospel. Mother Teresa and Billy Graham are not good enough to get into heaven. And there are ten. So if you're below them, five, six, seven. Where does that leave you? Pretty much out in the cold, right? (laughs) Or in the heat, as we may be talking about. Then you go, oh, by the way, did you know there was a rumor that both Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer committed their lives to Jesus Christ before they died? And the rumor is that they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the possibility exists that they could have both beat Mother Teresa and Billy Graham into heaven. Could you imagine walking through those pearly gates and there as part of the heavenly welcoming committee was one of the worst, most ruthless killers of our lifetime there to welcome you who has lived a pretty good life wouldn't that tick you off and you go how is that even possible because God's grace ain't fair it's funny to me when people criticize churches for preaching too much about the grace of God and not enough what they call truth. Because people say that grace is fluff. Most people want Christianity to be about right and wrong, black and white. They want justice. But when you really explore the truth about grace, there is nothing fluffy about it. In fact, when you get to the bottom line truth of grace, it tends to make most people mad and say, it's not fair. It's not fair. 
I think we were all born with this innate sense of right and wrong and what's fair and what's not. And if we're honest about it, it really hasn't changed since the time that we're kids. And we can't help but compare ourselves to other people all of our lives. You do something wrong and you say, well, at least it wasn't as bad as that person. You screw up and you say, well, at least it wasn't as wrong as what that person did. And we all like to think of ourselves as better off than somebody else, don't we? But again, the cold, hard truth of the gospel is that grace doesn't treat you any differently than it does the person that you think that you're better than. Doesn't that just irk you? Somehow we've got into this comparative morality thing where we say, I'm really not as bad as that person, and so I'm living a pretty good life, and so I should get something else. I am entitled to something different than those people who aren't even trying. Or in the church, it's very popular to say, how can that person call themselves a Christian, and they act that way? The bottom line is this. Other people's faith is none of our business. Somebody else's faith is between them and God, and only those two know the truth. It's not our place to judge. Jesus said, before you go looking at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own dang eye. In other words, you got enough junk in your own life to worry about without worrying about somebody else, so keep the focus off of everybody else and keep your focus where it belongs on your own mess. I've studied the topic of God's grace, I think, pretty extensively. And God's grace, which is to say God's unconditional love and forgiveness through which we are saved, through which we receive eternal life. And the more that I have studied the topic of God's grace, the more that I just understand, or maybe I should say the less I understand, but the more I get that it's not fair. It's just not fair. There is no story in the Bible that I think illustrates this point more than the story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. Inevitably, as a pastor, I have been at the bedside of many people who were getting ready to depart this life. And usually if I'm the pastor called in, because I'm kind of the unorthodox pastor, it's because that person probably has not set foot in church in years, they have had no real relationship with Jesus, and they are scared, and they feel that it's too late. And for the most part, when I'm in that situation, I don't say anything. I just sit there, and I listen, and I hold their hand, and I listen. But at some point in the conversation, I speak up, And I quietly tell them this story. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go out and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so... They went. But he went out again, about the sixth hour, and then the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. 
About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he said, hey, why are you standing around doing nothing? Because nobody has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, well, you also go and work in my vineyard. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this guy who owned a vineyard. And he went out at five in the morning to hire a bunch of guys to work in his vineyard to pick the grapes or whatever they do in a vineyard. And for their work, the owner agrees to pay them a day's wages, a denarius, the Bible says. But for our purposes, we're just going to say that it was 100 bucks. All right? So for a full day's wages, he get, they all get paid 100 bucks for working a full day, and he starts them to work. So a few hours later, the landowner, he goes out again. He sees he needs more help, and he hires some more guys to work in his vineyard. And he says, hey, if you work for the rest of the day, at the end of the day, I'll pay you 100 bucks. And so they did. And he went out again at noon and at 3 o'clock and did the same thing. At 5 o'clock, when there was only an hour or two of daylight left, he goes out and finds still others who are standing there looking for work. And he says, hey, if you work in my vineyard for the rest of the day and there's only an hour or two of daylight left, I'll pay you what's fair. And so they did. And Jesus goes on in verse 8 and says, when evening came... The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And these men who were hired last worked only for an hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So when the day was finally over, the landowner begins to pay the men he hired their wages, beginning with the last ones he hired, continuing on to the ones that he hired at the beginning of the day. And the workers who were hired just before it turned dark, who only worked for an hour, maybe two, they get a hundred bucks. And when it finally gets to the ones who were hired at the beginning of the day, they see these guys getting a hundred bucks. They're going, man, we're going to get a big bonus if those guys who only worked an hour or two got a hundred bucks. We're going to get some big money here. And when they got up to the, the front of the line, they received only a hundred dollars. And when they saw that they'd received the same thing that everybody else got, they began to complain to the landowner. They stomped their feet and they said, it's not fair. These men who were hired last have only worked an hour or two, and yet you have paid them what you paid us in spite of the fact that we worked way more, and not only that, but also in the heat of the day. And he says, but he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The landowner said, I'm not being unfair to you. I agreed to pay you 100 bucks if you worked the whole day. I gave you your 100 bucks. How's that not fair? Take your pay and be happy you got 100 bucks. 
if I want to pay the man who only worked an hour the same amount I pay you, that's, it's my money. It's my decision. I don't get what that has anything to do with you. Now, if you're the one that was hired at 5 a.m. and you saw this whole thing going on, wouldn't you be ticked? Wouldn't you stomp your feet? Wouldn't you protest? Absolutely. I know I would. And that is a picture of God's grace. Let me make it painfully clear what this story is all about. The vineyard represents the kingdom of God. And the landowner is God the Father. And the foremen who are paying the workers is Jesus. The workers in this story represent those who are the followers of Jesus. And the denarius, or the payment, we called it a hundred bucks for our purposes, is your eternal reward. It's eternal life. It's heaven. Which all received equally for their work. The workday represents our lifetime of service to God, and the end of the day is the end of the day. It's when the world ends and eternity begins, and the principle that Jesus is driving home here is that every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ receives the same gift of eternal life as does everyone else. In spite of what you heard, there will be no more jewels in your crown because you think you worked so much harder or did so much more than everybody else. I know it's not fair, but just because you've worked in the nursery changing dirty diapers for the past five years, your mansion in heaven will be no bigger than the person who just started working in the cafe making cappuccinos for the rest of the congregation. There is no exceptions, no preferential treatment. Whether someone comes to God as a kid and lives their life like Billy Graham, a life of faithful, obedient service to God. Or they have lived a life of lying and cheating and they come to God on their deathbed. deathbed. Each one of them receives the same gift of eternal life. The thief who turned to Jesus on the cross with his last breath received the same gift of eternal life as did Peter, who worked his rear end off, who did so many things and sacrificed so much of his life for Jesus and ended up dying for his faith. While there were natural consequences for the thief's sin as a criminal, as he died on the cross justly for his crime, Jesus died unjustly on the cross right next to him. It wasn't fair. But then again, God's grace never is. If God's grace were fair, the woman caught in adultery would have been stoned. Paul would have remained Saul. Peter would have gone back to fishing. And as for me, 
I would be deserving and destined for hell. But thank God, his grace ain't fair. As so many of you know, several years ago, I walked away from my relationship with God. And I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of. I did a lot of things that went very much against what God wanted for my life. And when I finally came to my senses, I thought, how could God possibly want me back after the things that I've done in my life? After the way that I've lived? And it wasn't until I finally got this concept of grace that I was ever really able to have the kind of authentic relationship with God that the Bible talks about. It wasn't until I realized that God's grace meant that he wanted me back, no matter what I've done, that he would love me unconditionally, accept me as I am, and that my sin would no longer be a barrier between me and God, because if I came to him and asked for forgiveness, it would be removed from my life, and I could have this relationship with God. And by the way, I have messed up many, many more times than I can count on two hands since that time even. We say that God's grace ain't fair because it doesn't seem right that a good person at the end of the day may end up not going to heaven. But I ask you, is that God's fault? Can God be blamed if I don't go to heaven? As I read my Bible, there is only one thing that stops us from going to heaven. And that's sin. And all of us are sinners, so that tends to be a pretty big problem. Except for one thing. Grace. Let me give you the best and most basic illustration on how grace works. Let's say that my hand represents me. This is me, Darren Sloniger. I'm born, I'm a nice guy, live a good life, da 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 da. But then all of a sudden I sin. Sin comes into my life, and this Bible represents the sin in my life. So here's me, here's the good guy, here's the sin. And my sin in my life creates a barrier between me and God. We can't have an authentic relationship because sin stands in the way. And more than anything else, God wants that all of us be saved. And the Bible says that he loved us so much, he sent his son down to earth to die on a cross, to be sacrificed even though he lived a perfect life. So that the sin of us all could fall on him, leaving us what? Perfect. Sinless. All of a sudden, just like that, we meet the entrance requirement to heaven. We can stand before God perfect 
and sinless because Jesus took on our sin. Is it possible to remove the sin from our lives without Jesus? Is Jesus the only way to salvation? Because on the other hand, if I choose to leave that sin there and I don't do anything about it, and I don't accept his grace, I don't accept his forgiveness, this sin will continue to be a barrier between me and God for not only this life, but also in the next. Is it God's fault if I choose not to deal with my sin? Not to remove that sin from my life? God's grace means that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God's grace applies to you. When we are finally able to get our eyes off of everybody else, when we're finally able to stop comparing our sin to everybody else's who are so much worse than us, and we can finally get the depth of our own sin, we can finally begin to understand the incredible nature, the radical nature of God's love, and for the first time we get it. The unfair nature of God's grace was designed for me. Because without grace, I ain't making it. I think that when we get to heaven, we'll all be a little bit surprised about who we may see and who we don't. As you look around and go, how did they get there? How did that happen? Do I really have to spend eternity with them? When we finally get there, to heaven, I mean. And you start strolling down the streets of gold. Don't be surprised when you look around and you see somebody who was a former thief, somebody who was a liar, a cheat, somebody who you thought was really immoral, somebody who betrayed you, somebody who mistreated you. Don't be surprised when you look around and you see an adulterer you see somebody who was a gossiper, somebody who was just a really negative person. And don't you be surprised when you look around and you see a messed up guy like me. Somebody who messed his life up so badly and yet was able to discover the grace of God before it was too late. God's grace ain't fair. Thank God his grace ain't fair.